welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, your weekly glimpse into the life of indie author Paul Teague. Find out how many words got written over the past seven days, hear what's on the planning board, and discover the tips and tools which Paul is using to self-publish his books and get them selling as fast as possible. This is Paul's Podcast Diary, and here's your show host, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, episode number 103 for Saturday the 2nd of June 2018. And I've just finished doing today's writing. It's Friday when I record this and I've written 5,089 words today, bringing my total up to 48,387. So I'm now halfway through the first draft of this book. Now, I hadn't realised that it's half term this week I can't remember when my wife and I realised. We said, oh, half term this week. Uh, we've got we've got some time to play around with. And so originally, when we realised that, I said, you know what, I won't write then. If everybody's going to be at home, I, I'm not going to write this week. And then as it got closer to the day, I thought, actually, I want to write. I, I, I just want to keep on top of this. So I was up early today. This is what I tend to do when the family are around. It's, it's, it's deadly, you see, because if the family are around, I, I'm sitting there chatting at breakfast, taking my time. And if I don't get started uh, until late, I, I couldn't start writing 5,000 words at 11 o'clock in the day. Uh, no, I say I couldn't. I don't like to do that. The way that my kind of body's in tune is I, I'm an early worker. I like to get my heavy work done early. So I couldn't sit down and write 5,000 words starting at seven o'clock in the evening. I know some people are, are night owls. I think we've all got different sort of rhythms and different points of the day at which we're, uh, we're, we're stronger. I've always been stronger in the mornings and much better in the mornings. So what I did, I didn't set the alarm, but I, um, it's funny this, when I was, I did breakfast shows for years on the radio and, uh, would you believe I never needed an alarm to get up? I had an alarm set, but I never woke up to the alarm. And I, I'm not sort of too airy fairy about this kind of stuff, but you know, I, I, I do believe that you could almost set an alarm in your head and, or I, I certainly can. And, and I always used to wake up about, um, you know, 10 minutes, five minutes before the alarm. I've always been like that. So I almost set an alarm in my head and then I, I get up before the alarm goes off. Um, so. I did that for years when I was doing breakfast shows. I never would have done it without setting alarms just in case I slept in. But I was always up before the alarm, probably because I was alert. I kind of sent my brain that message to say, need to be up early. And so my brain was unsettled and, and I guess sort of more wary of missing the alarm. Well, it kind of worked last night too, because I thought, well, I don't really want to get up as early as five. Um, that's a little bit sort of too early, but I'd like to be up early. But I didn't set the alarm and I woke up at, uh, what time was it? I think it was six something, six something. I thought, well, that's great because I write an hour long stints. So uh, my wife's not at work, of course, today as it's half term. So I thought, well, she, she her comfortable getting up time is about 8.30. So I got two hour long stints done before 8.30. And then I, I know having got those two in the bag that I'm going to get the other one done. I only need an hour and I get the other one done. So um, I've, I've had the, the last hour uh, done by lunchtime. So my 5,000 words are out the way. Now, I've um, it's interesting, actually. I bought a book. I'll just lean over and get it. I bought a book this week by a chap who I, I kind of really recommend. If you're into... Um, you know, sort of business, uh, money, um, you know, just time management kind of stuff. A guy I recommend to you is Rob Moore. Um, just Rob, M-O-O-R-E, Rob Moore. 
And Rob's just released a book, and I, I just I buy all these books straight off because I, I get so much value from them. Um, but this is a book called Routine Equals Results. It, to be honest with you, it's it's less of a book, more of a pamphlet. It's just a small, easy to consume book. It's ninety eight pages, uh, not not substantial at all. But it, it's 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 actually really good. It's all about um, managing your time. And there's a really good chapter in here. I don't know whether you, I don't know whether I've ever alluded to this or mentioned this on this podcast, but I'm a real I'm terrible about time management. And you've probably picked that up anyway. But Rob's got a couple of chapters in here, and it actually made me feel much better because I I'm terrible with phones. I will not let you get to me on the phone. Um, if you make an appointment with me for a phone call, that's absolutely fine. I'm very happy to make uh, to, to have phone calls by appointment, but I will not let the phone. Um, uh, uh, interrupt me when I'm at work. Now, if the phone rang now, I've got a phone to my the left-hand side here, the family phone. Um, if that rang now, I just ignore it and press mute. They'd leave a message. So I always triage phone calls. Um, emails I respond to sort of when I'm ready. I don't respond to them when they come in. But even when I was at the BBC, my phone would go to voicemail and I would then listen to the voicemail and I would decide whether it was an imp- importance, you know, at a time convenient to me, whether it's important enough for me to break off what I'm doing. Um, because why I hate phones in particular is it's like somebody else telling you what time scale you've got to work on. So if I, if a phone rang now and I answered it and I'd say, all right, well, there you go. I'll have to just stop recording now. Whose time scale are we working to? We're working to the phone caller's time scale, not my time scale. So I'm very, very happy to hop on the phone with you, but only by appointment. I don't like being interrupted by the phone. So I never answer the phone. Uh, the only person, my mum and my wife, you know, my kids, they're the only people who, and they, and they, they of all people also know that if they ring me, it better be for a good reason. So um, in pages 52 and 53 of this book, there's all these awful things I thought they were awful things, really strict things that I do to manage my time. And Rob's just set them all out there. I just, oh, it makes me feel a lot better. Anyhow, the book's called Routine Equals Resu- Results. And if you are a sort of a kind of person who struggles with time management, it's well well worth having a read. And also check Rob's other stuff out. Um, another book called Life Leverage is really, really good talking about just how to manage your time much, much better. Anyhow, I digress. The um, bottom line of that is, Yippee! We're halfway through draft one, and I got five thousand words written today, so that feels really great. Uh, next week I've got a writing day. Now, actually, I've just changed my week around for next week. So I had only got one writing day scheduled next week, but now I've, I've literally the last ten minutes just changed something that was going to have me away like next weekend, and I'm not going to be away next weekend now. So I will probably. Uh, right Thursday and Friday of next week I'm saying this on the hoof without having thought through my week next week so I I think I'll be writing 10,000 words next week it feels really good to be rattling through this book and it's it's kind of coming thick and fast oh the other thing I should say to me or to you I beg your pardon is that my wife's read up to date now obviously not the 5,000 words I've just written but she's read up to 40,000 words and um, you know she really she really uh, likes it she's enjoying it completely intrigued um you know, like like some of the the sort of the funnier bits, and, and actually she was reassuring me because I said I was saying to her, you know, this, I'm writing more of the same, by which I mean I'm writing the kind of book that I write, and and I know because I've got reviews that some people really like that, and I was just saying to my wife yesterday, I think we were sitting out in the garden having a cup of tea, as as I tend to do, and I was just saying, you know, 
what I write doesn't feel like a conventional thriller. And and she was talking to me about Christopher Brookmeyer, who is a Scottish author. And she was, I, well, I won't actually say them on this podcast, but she was telling me about some of the scenes that Christopher Brookmeyer puts in his books. And actually, I've read Christopher Brookmeyer books as well myself, um, not for a while, but I must come back to them. But she said, you know, it's no different from what Christopher Brookmeyer does. He 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 does this stuff in his books too, and he's a you know very. Uh, popular author so I was thinking oh you know maybe this isn't straight or conventional enough um, for a traditional thriller and and my wife was just offering some reassurance that she doesn't like thrillers see the, the thing the, the, the thing I agonize about my thrillers and it's interesting I'm watching on Netflix we've been watching Safe which is a Harlan Coben story on Netflix this week and I've just finished watching was it called The Innocent? Yeah, it was called The Innocent, I think, which was on ITV. Um, two kind of crime, thriller, domestic kind of dramas, the sort of thing that I write and love to read and love to watch. Harlan Coben um, is, it, 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 when people ask you this horrible question, you know, who are your inspirations? I'm, I'm not so keen on that word. But if you said to me, who, which writer do you want to be when you grow up? I would say Harlan Coben, Lidwood Barclay, Mark Edwards are very consistent in that. They write exactly the kind of books I like to read and the sort of books that I want to write. So, of course, with Harlan Coben having this series on Netflix, I had to watch it. I was discussing it with somebody in the office earlier in the week who said it was brilliant. And and so uh, this safe thriller at the moment is is just the kind of thriller that I like. It's multi-layered. It's, you're seeing it from different people's points of view. There are flashbacks into the past. And I love that kind of stuff. I love that kind of multi-level thing. And my view of it is that we, we're used to this in TV now. I like a more demanding kind of television program. If you think of, I don't know whether you saw Sense8 on Netflix. And and um, this is the first series, not the second series. I didn't watch the second series. I'd lost interest by then. But the first series was was excellent. And it was a brilliant form of storytelling. If you if you just watch it for the storytelling, you just watch a couple of episodes, even if it's not your kind of thing, just watch it for the way they tell the story. And then another good example of that, I'm just trying to think what it was. Oh, yeah, The Affair, which is coming. It's it's the fourth season's coming on HBO fairly soon. The Affair is brilliant storytelling because what, what you do is you get the same story in, a, in an hour-long episode. You get the same story, but you, you see it from two people's different points of view. And I, and I love this. I've not seen anybody do this before. So, for instance... When it's told from one person's point of view, you might have somebody dressed very prim and proper. So when when it's from, say, the lady's point of view, she'd say she was dressed very, um, you know, modestly. But then when it's told from the man's point of view, he might be slightly, you know, more cynical about the way she's dressed. And in the second scene, when you see it from his point of view, she's dressed differently. So you see the same story through different people's eyes in the affair. I love the storytelling in that. So I, I really love that kind of more complex storytelling. And what, what I seem unable to do, <laughs> I'm going to have to do it one day, I suppose, is I can't just tell, or I haven't just told, a linear story which tells the story of Fred or Frida and it follows them through every chapter. Beginning to wonder whether I'm incapable of it, because it's not the kind of story I generally like to read. I like a story that challenges me. I like a story that reveals things uh, left afield and stuff from the past. And you know, I, I like that. And um, it's what I like to watch. It's what I like to read. And it's what I like to write. So um, uh, the reason I'm telling you that really is just a little bit of uh, self-doubt, if you want, you know, about about this story. Not that I, I, I'm really enjoying the story. My wife tells me she's really enjoying the story, but really just about how 
so, you know, in terms of the populace with thrillers, am I writing another story that's not going to be commercial enough? Do I need to really just lock myself down and make myself write a linear story told from a single standpoint without all these left of field bits and pieces coming in? So anyhow, that's for me to ponder. And I'll just throw that um, out there because that's what's been preoccupying me this week. I've got a fair bit of general news for you this week. Uh, the first bit of general news relates to emails. I had a really interesting experience this week with my emails. So last Friday, was it? Uh, was GDPR day in the UK. Uh, and we're still here. Have you noticed? We're still here. And we had we had that sort of frantic rush of zillions of emails where we're all sick to death of GDPR. What a mess that's been. It really has. A mess of miscommunication and you know, unclear guidance, I think. And anyhow, it was GDPR day last week. So interestingly, and I, I wouldn't perhaps have timed it this way, but my if you remember, my monthly email was due. I sent it on the last Sunday of every month, and that was last Sunday. It's probably not the best time to send an email out when everybody's sick to death of emails. Now, if you remember, I told you that I had reduced my list by over a half because I'd I'd deleted everybody who didn't open an email uh, within the last 90 days. And that brought my list down to about 2,500 people. But that's still, you know, quite an... Um, normally, I'd make it a bit tighter than that, maybe 60 days maybe even two you know two months what's two months that is 60 days isn't it yeah two months uh really i should probably have brought it a little bit tighter i, I might still bring it in a little bit tighter actually based on what i'm about to tell you so uh, these are not bang up to date um uh figures they're they're kind of figures that i took i think yesterday um but they're indicative so i knew my open rate would go up um but i've had the most astonishing experience i've ever ever had doing email right uh marketing so bear in mind i've been email marketing since about I think it was 2008, 2009. So it's ten, ten, 10 years, say, almost 10 years. I've been email marketing and I've done, I've made every mistake. You know, I've done everything, done everything wrong. <laughs> Not enough that's right, unfortunately, but I've probably made all the mistakes, uh, including once I've probably told you about this. When I was very early in, I'd set up a big offer on New Year's Day and I was experimenting for the first time with, uh, what's it called? When you said, no, A-B split testing. I was experimenting with A-B split testing on, on Aweber. This is many, many years ago. And I completely cocked it up. And what I did was send, just after midnight, just after New Year, four different emails to everybody on my list. What I meant to do was send, I think it was a different email to a quarter of the people on the list, whatever it was, and I'd set it up wrong. So they just got four emails from me. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, this is the beginning of the end of my email marketing career. So I've made some big mistakes. Anyhow, I sent Sunday's email and I wasn't good to write it. You know, I was, I was procrastination. I don't really like doing the emails. I wasn't going to send it. I was thinking, shall I let myself off? And I said, no, no. I, I had that conversation with Queeve McDonald and I said to Queeve, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. So I thought, no, come on, Paul, move your butt, be accountable. So I did the email and, um, the response rate that I got was 56.74% open rate. You, you will never get that. Oh, kind of open rate, unless you've got a brand new list or a newly cleaned list. By cleaned, I mean you've got rid of all the people who aren't interested. So I did project, I thought it might be higher than that, actually, but I, th that's why I'm saying to you that I probably should have brought it into 60 days. So 90 days, three months, not opening an email, you know, you're pretty disengaged, really, aren't you? But I, I went wide with it. And, and based on these stats, I think I'm probably going to reduce that time period to about to about 60 days, a couple of months. But anyhow, a 56.74% open rate. But this is the, interestingly, and I'll tell you how I did it in a moment, 
this is the best ever in 10 years or whatever it is now of email marketing. It is the best ever response I have ever had to an email. Now, I don't mean that by open rate. I got over a hundred replies to that email. I've never had that many replies. I think I've, I think uh, it wasn't my product actually, but I was working with somebody on the help desk on their product. I think we've we certainly had over hundred complaints <laughs> on a on an old internet marketing product, which wasn't really very that good. I won't, I won't say who it was or when it was, but um, I worked on the help desk. That was my first experience of of working on a, a busy internet marketing help desk. It, it frightened the life out of me, but. Um, these were all positive replies. And um, I'll tell you what I did. It was just a silly little throwaway thing. Um, but it was just something that my wife and I are investigating about um, just selling something on, a- on on Amazon. And I did the kind of training. It said, uh, you know, ask your friends and family what the, the, was the last thing they bought on Amazon and eBay just to give you some ideas. So I thought, well, I'm writing this email. I'm sending it to two and a half thousand people. I might as well just put a little question in there and say, oh, by the way, you know, what, what was the last thing you bought on Amazon and e- eBay? And uh, that's all it was. It was just a throwaway question. What I'll do is I'll put a link to the email so you can just you can read it for yourself. You can see exactly what I did and how I set it up. But the the next day I came, I woke up and I got like about sixty emails rep- replying to it. Uh, you know, personal replies and and nice messages and, and you know laughing about it and saying you know sorry that's a bit boring or that sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? You know, just nice friendly emails and then. And then um, the email had a resend on Tuesday. So it's about, it'll be about 110, 120 replies. That is a phenomenal number of personal replies to get from an email. I've, I have never had anything like it ever before. Interestingly, the, the best response I'd ever had before was, you know, the incident I told you about on New Year, when I realized what I'd done uh, with sending an email out four times, I sent another email out. I thought, what can I do here? What can I do? I need to act with integrity. So I, I sent an apology email out and said, look, I'm really sorry. I messed it up. I'm really sorry that you got four emails. Uh, I do apologize for that. And then I, what I, that was, so a mistake. So this date, a mistake was where I'd got my best response and people had got back to me and said, you know, don't worry, Paul, we all do it. And, you know, we've all made mistakes. No problem. Uh, don't worry about it. You know, it's not a problem. And, and, and all positive. No, no, no moans to that at all. I thought my world was over, but, uh, in internet marketing terms, but it wasn't. And that had been, but probably how many? Maybe 15 at the most. So, so I can tell you, this is a really good, that's, it's amazing. Now, I think people would get pretty fed up with it if you did it every month. But there is a lesson to be learned there. Um, and people were intrigued. They said, oh, I'm really interested to know why you've asked that question. And it was nothing to do with writing. But I learned a lesson. You know, lessons were I wasn't going to run, send this email. And I'm so pleased I moved my button and did it. But number two, I'm so pleased I tried something a little bit different. I'm amazed at the response. And what I learned from this is it goes back to this concept of having a thousand true fans. Thousand true fans. Incidentally, I made some pre-sales off that email too, but I didn't say buy my book anywhere in that email. I let them know that the book, I've got a new book coming out, but I didn't say buy this book, check it out. I simply just said, I'm writing a new book. This is what I'm up to with a new book. And I got uh, a new book coming out on at the end of the month. So it, it's about a thousand true fans, isn't it? And, and I've got, I've, I found it easier with the podcast. So people, uh, I have conversations with people on Twitter and when you meet people in person, that the podcast has been brilliant for, for, for getting to know people and having conversations with them. Um, but this was really, uh, it's surprised, it really surprised me. I, I just didn't think you would get that kind of response from an email. And, and, and what I learned from it is that, you know, 
and, and I, I have been guilty with this because I come from an internet marketing background. And with internet marketing, it was thrash, thrash, sell, sell, sell. And I have to say, I, I've struggled to adjust from this. But the lesson I learned from this is the more kind of human you are, the less salesy you are. And actually, the more kind of humor I put in, it's, 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 on a day-to-day basis, I, I laugh and joke a lot. But my, my policy has always been that, um, you know, if you're... If, if, and, and I, I see this in talks. We've all been to we've all been to corporate talks where the person who's doing the talk makes a joke, and they shouldn't have done. They're not kind of naturally funny. And I I put myself in that category. I'm not a naturally funny guy. Uh, you know, I wouldn't stand up in a room and dare to tell a joke because it would probably die. It might not, but it probably would. So when I put myself out there, if I'm doing training and things like that, if people laugh, it's incidental. I don't set up a joke though because I'm not a naturally funny guy. And I, and I wouldn't do that. Um, I'm try, trying to remember where I was going with this. Oh yeah, but 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 actually, on a day to day basis, um, I I laugh and joke about quite a lot actually. And I did you know I did when I was at work and everything, doing at work and everything. I'd, I'd rather have a laugh, you know. I'd rather enjoy it. And and what this sort of told me is that you know actually I should probably be more natural in, in everything I do. I should probably be less guarded about this kind of stuff um, because all that was the, it's probably the most natural conversational thing I've probably ever said in an email. Look at the response it got. So, um, you know, draw whatever conclusions you want from that. But I've, I'd have i be interested to know whether you've ever sent an email out that had that number of personal replies, not just people saying, you know, I bought scissors, but people having a little chat at the end of it, like they're talking to you. Now, of course, that gave me another problem because I had to reply to everybody. I, I, I'm not going to in terms of this idea of a thousand true fans, I'm not going to let people reply to it and then not get back to them and say, thanks for responding. So I did write a very sort of informal response. And people I know personally got a personal response, but I, re- I wrote a response that would kind of cover everybody. I couldn't write 110 personal responses. Um, but they all got a personal response, even though it was sort of from a template. Um, but, you know, just really, I just... I get surprised every day in this business. I would never have said to you, having done it this long, that I'd have got a response like that. So to so take from that what you will. And do let me know if you've ever done something that got a response like that, what you did. And I'll share that on the podcast. Um, just a little announcement. If you remember, I've, I've got I've got two Twitter feeds, at uh, Paul T UK, which is the one I had for the minute. I, I it's Well, it's nearly 10 years old now. That's the first Twitter address I ever had. I built up an internet marketing following on that. When I moved out of internet marketing, I just deleted loads of people, took it right down to virtually nothing. And then I built it up again. And and I have a kind of rules now for connecting. I only connect with people if there's an obvious, uh, you know, this um, symbiotic relationship between us, i.e. They're, they're in a field that I'm interested in. I won't connect with anybody who doesn't have an avatar or a proper, if you haven't got a proper profile, I won't connect with you. Um, I'm generally trying to connect with people in my industry. So there needs to be some, either I'm interested in you or you would have a good reason to be interested in me other than trying to flog me double glazing or something like that. So I'm quite strict with Twitter these days. My numbers could be a lot higher. And if you remember, if again, if you listen to the podcast for a long time, you'll know that we built an audience using um, Ian Sutherland's, I, forget, I always forget what it's called, but he's got a Twitter product. And um, and I'd always set up this kind of secret, at secret bunker fan account and I hadn't, wasn't doing anything with it. And uh, Ian used it as a trial. It, it did amazingly with his uh, product. It, it very quickly got to over 10,000 um, followers. But 
I'm not, I know this is terrible, isn't it? But I'm not, I don't, I don't get excited enough about social media to sort of be bothered with the two accounts. And because I had, um, Ian had, had let me use the product while we were experimenting with it, it did extremely well. And then I sort of, during the sort of trial period, I said, well, that's, that's fine. I don't want to continue with it. It's not really my kind of thing. I'd rather just go on Twitter and say what I want to say when I want to say it kind of thing. Quite lazy in that respect with social media. And um, so I stopped using the product. And so with, with that, it, uh, that audience got less engaged because I wasn't posting anything that was was worthwhile or relevant there. And I just thought, do you know I just want to trim some of my social media channels. It's funny, I really enjoy my at Paul T UK channel, but I, I don't enjoy having multiple channels. It's just driving me spare. So I've, I've burned a couple of channels this week um, just to simplify my my social media life. So at Secret Bunker Fan, I haven't deleted it. What I've done is I've posted a graphic saying, I'm no longer posting here. Uh, you need to be joining me over at Paul T UK. So I won't delete it because there are too many people on there, but I won't be posting on it. I've just put this holding post on basically saying, you know, ain't nobody here but us chickens. So um, if you are following me on at Secret Bunker Fan, please remove yourself from there and follow me at Paul T UK because that's the only place I'm going to be tweeting from now on. Um, I just wanted to mention a couple of listeners to, in fact, well, three listeners in actual fact, um, uh, sort of friends of the show, if you want. So just to let you know, it's really good to see um, people who are sort of in my position. So I, when I started this podcast, I started it because I was getting a lot of value from all the established po- podcasts, but they were so far ahead of me in terms of their business and the kind of money they were making and the sales they were making. I felt that I needed something that was targeted to somebody like me, who was still struggling to learn to write, who was still struggling to sell books. So I need to be listening to people like Joanna Penn because you know she's been there, done it, she's worked through all of these, but she's so far ahead of me, you know, sometimes that almost feels unattainable. I felt I wanted to do a podcast for people who are kind of, you know, still stuck in the trenches, still struggling, still trying to figure out how it works. And, th- and that's always been the premise of this this podcast. And it's really great to see a, a, other people who I've got to know through this podcast doing similar things. So I just wanted to mention them to you and to highly recommend them to you because I'm, I'm listening to them every week. So first of all, uh, Patrick Sheriff got in touch with me. And um, uh, th- thank you for your comments, Patrick. Again, when people kind of write me um, personal emails rather than posting on social media, I kind of keep the contents of those emails um, private. But but thank you, Patrick. I you know I always appreciate people's communications and ideas and, and sort of throwing their hat into the ring. Um, but uh, Patrick um, had posted on social media that I got to mention his new video. He's going to do a monthly video, uh, and the monthly video is really about you know for for new writers. And, um, and it's, it was just, a, you know, five minutes, something like that, five or six minutes of Patrick just talking. It's like his version of an author diary, but it's on YouTube, um, talking about what he's doing, what he's struggling with. Um, you're absolutely right, Patrick. He's kind of big tips. Um, he gave tips for, for beginner writers. One of his big tips was not to steal his thunder. You need to hear Patrick explaining it and why. But, you know, read more books. And I'm guilty of that, Patrick. You maybe feel guilty because I know I need to read more fiction books. Um, but it's it's just a really good it's a really good video from someone who's publishing books. Patrick's been on the podcast, you know, struggling to make the sales like we all are, and just explaining how he's working through that, how he gets through it. So I've put the first video on the resources page for this week. I highly recommend it to you. It's a, a once a month uh, feed. Just subscribe to Patrick's feed, and though you'll get a little notification every time he's done a new one. 
I also wanted to recommend to you uh, Claire Sager's podcast. Uh, Claire's podcast is Confessions of a First-Time Author. I think it's every fortnight, Claire. I'm sure that's right. Um, and uh, again, you know, never think that you know it all or that you've heard it all because I was listening to Claire's podcast. And uh, by the way, Claire, uh, uh, Claire and I had a little chat about setting up the podcast at 20 bucks to 50k. Um, your microphone sounds great, Claire. <laughs> it was just one of the microphones that I, I recommend for getting started. And the, the sound quality is really good. Uh, I just wanted to mention that. But um, Claire came up with a great tip. And again, I don't want to steal her thunder uh, because you need to listen to the to the podcast. But um, what a great, great tip. Claire said, uh, I've heard people say listen to music and have playlists and things like that before. But I've never heard this tip before. It was brilliant. Claire said, listen to computer game music while you're writing. And, and when she said that, I thought, you're absolutely right. My kids have, um, when I'm not in my study, I let my, I let my kids sit on my, my, you know, our huge screens here and they love playing their games on it. And, um, when I sort of come in, maybe just to check my mobile phone, make sure there's no messages. Um, the kids have got the computer music on and it, and it, and it draws you into the game without distracting you. When Claire said that, I thought, well, that's absolutely right. What a brilliant idea that is. Computer game music is written and designed to draw you in, to focus you, and she's absolutely right with that. So what what a great tip. Um, so Claire's uh, Confessions of a First-Time Author. Um, again, you can that's not YouTube. You can subscribe to that on your normal podcast feed. Highly recommend that. And um, the other podcast I recommend, I've, I've talked to you about John Cronshaw's Author Diary, which um, pops in my feed every Sunday, I think it is. Um, John's also now writing or doing a new podcast, uh, as well as his Author Diary called Stop Booking Around. And in Stop Booking Around, he's teamed up with a, I think it's an old schoolmate or university mate, who's always one of those people who I, always, I, I want to write a book. You know, one of these people who always want to, but never get it done. And and isn't this, isn't this most of us? I've always wanted to write a book, but I've never got it done. And so what, uh, what John's done is he's got his mate and he's kind of holding him to account. He's, he's talking him through how to structure a book. He's giving him some writing exercises um, you know, he's, he's taking him through all that early pain to make sure this friend of his writes the darn book. And it's really good stuff. And I know John has also written a, a sort of a guide book to accompany the series. So I've got a lot of time for what John's doing, um, you know, online in his business. I always learn from him. Um, and so I highly recommend that podcast too. So again, you know, th three people that I've interviewed on this show, uh, you know, people who I was already interested in, uh, what they were doing. Um, Patrick, you should also look at his, um, you should also subscribe to his email newsletter as well. He's doing really interesting things with that. That feeds back into what I was telling you about my newsletter as well. So uh, Patrick Sheriff, Claire Sager, John Cronshaw, to save your hunting, just go to the resources page for this week's diary and I'll put the links on there. But I highly recommend all three of those uh, to you if you kind of listen to this podcast and get value from what I rabbit on about every week here. It was Amazon Payday this week and I just wanted to give you an update. Um, I'm not going to burrow too deeply into the figures, but I did just want to say that it's now six months since I had my book bub. And for the last three months, uh, this was always one of my mini targets, if you want. I always wanted to, my first financial goal was to earn more than my wife does every month through my books. And I should say that my wife works part-time term time, so this is not full-time work, but that felt like a reasonable um, thing to aim for because it's what you know one of the adults in our house brings in as their contribution to the house. If I could meet that contribution, 
with my books, if I could equal that, then that is a tangible result for the work that I'm doing. Well, I hadn't realized this until the, the, the checks kind of came in on whenever it was, 30th, 31st, whenever they come in. But for the last three months, um, without any kind of major promotion or anything, this is just the kind of follow through from being on BookBub, um, I've been earning more than my wife does for a month with her part-time turn-time job. So you know, let's get this into context. It's not a full-time, all-time job. It's a part-time, turn-time job. Um, but as a tangible result from that, um, I, you, know, I, you know what I'm like if you listen to these diaries? I'm there saying, oh, it's not the 4,000-odd pounds that I made in the big month. So I'm looking at what I haven't got. And it took me till this month to say what I have got. And what I have got is is an ongoing, we've, we've breached an ongoing milestone. Uh, and that is that the it's it seems to have brought my residual income up to a level where it's it's hit that and exceeded that milestone. And the other thing I have to say to you is that interestingly, paperbacks are a big part of that now. And I've said this to you before. My Mailchimp book, it's called Mailchimp Unbox. That book just sells itself, and it's selling for ten quid. It's nonfiction. And again, I've said this to you before. What you know, I get brilliant reviews on my nonfiction. All, all this angst that I have with my fiction over reviews, I don't get any of that with non-fiction. And the funny thing about non-fiction is that I'm so confident of my subjects that I'm writing about that if you do get some crazy person who thinks something's wrong, I'm confident enough to know that they're wrong. <laughs> so it doesn't bother me in the slightest. You know, if the, I think I had one person, was it one person whinging about something? He was just wrong. He was mad, mad as atta. Uh, and, and, and with non-fiction, I've got the confidence to say that, whereas I would agonise about something in a in a fiction review. And I've, I've said this to you before. <laughs> just ought to write I mean, non-fiction is what I should do. But I don't want to. I want to write stories. Um, so I forgot what I was talking about now. I do go off on one, don't I? Anyhow, oh, sorry, I was telling you that the MailChimp book. So the MailChimp book sells at 10 quid, the paperback. And I keep selling them. And I'm not even marketing them. And it's the reason for that is, uh, again, I've told you this before. It's because it's keyworded. It's a keyworded book. So the keyword is MailChimp. Now, again, I wasn't selling that book. It used to be called uh, Email Marketing for Business. It's the most boring title in the world. I know, I know. But I, I kind of, I just got them out there at speed. And uh, and then I think the sort of MailChimp box is a much sexier title now. It looks better. I've got a better cover on it. Um, but it just sells itself. And it was responsible for quite a large part of that income last month. So um, the gods are trying to tell me something. They're trying to tell me, write nonfiction. But I'm still ignoring it because I like writing fiction. So <laughs> uh, one day I'll probably have a best-selling non-fiction book and say I just should have I should have just read the tea leaves, you know, and followed the guidance that the universe was giving me. Anyhow, I'm going to keep going at fiction because that's what I want to do. So that's um, that's my kind of book income. Um, so rather than I, I need to look at the glasses half full rather than the glasses half empty. Um, that that does feel like the book bub, even though. It's half a year ago now. It has bumped up the numbers, so I should be happy with that, or happier. Um, what's happening on Tuesday? I'm at the Amazon Academy in Newcastle on Tuesday. Um, this has actually worked out uh, quite well because I, I get to go. Um, I get taken out for a meal the night before uh, with, with the Amazon team. So um, th- this is the advantage of doing these things. Now, remember, I'm not there as a best-selling author. I was looking at, um, or oh, I'm terrible with names. It's, it's. oh, I can't remember her name. There's there's an author there, and I really apologize for this. I, I didn't say it because I'm going to get it half wrong. 
there's a, a northeastern writer who's good to be at the meal and, and, and presenting. And I'm there representing the Alliance of Independent Authors. So sure, I'm a writer, but I'm not a successful writer. And they, they get a couple of successful writers on there. And I was looking at this author, um, you know, just doing research like you do, if you, if you could just, you know, sit at the same table as them for a meal. And I was, she's got like 1,700 reviews on her books. 1,700 reviews. And, and like, I, you know, the reviews, they kind of, it, it says five stars, but it's it's actually 4.7 is the average. But she's got something like, you know, 4.7 average. You think, how the heck, how the heck do you do that, for goodness sake, as an indie author? Absolutely astonishing. Anyway, I get to sit with her at a table on Monday night, so I'm going to ask her. Uh, but um, absolutely uh, amazing what some people could do. So, that, you know, there's me saying there's a little success with the monthly earnings. And then I look at her reviews and I think, oh, my, you know, how how do you do that? That's a phenomenal number of reviews. I can't imagine having that number of reviews. There's me happy because I'm I'm inching towards a hundred, and it's taken me a book bub to get there. And and she's got one thousand seven hundred. Some people make it look so effortless, don't they? Anyhow, um, again, this is a long way around of telling you that it's the Amazon Academy in Newcastle on Tuesday. If you're going, I hope to see you there. Um, they're always great little events. Really looking forward to it. And, and just drop me a note. Let me know you're going there because um, I will warn you. Normally, I should wear glasses for short sightedness, but I tend not to tend not to sort of need them in an environment like that unless I'm reading things off screens on slides. I don't generally need glasses. So if I walk straight past you, it's because I ain't got my glasses on. You know, I'm not I'm not seeing you clearly. So do make sure I don't miss you, please. If uh, if you're there, um, you have to sort of you know step in front of me and wave at me to make sure I, I've seen you. Um, it won't be be me being rude, honestly. So just let me know if you're there, please. Um, a couple of mentions on Twitter. Uh, Tim Lewis, uh, I'm trying to work out what this picture is. Tim Lewis sent me a picture. It's on the show notes if you want to have a look. And Tim said, listening to your diary episode while out walking over a covered reservoir. And um, it looks like, I'm trying to work out what it is, Tim. It's it's certainly a beautiful day. And it's, it shows what a lovely time of year it, out, it is to be walking. Beautiful blue sky, you know, all the trees uh, leaved and green, absolutely beautiful. But it, it, it it's kind of like something in a, like it's gated or something. But so I'm not really quite sure what a covered reservoir is. So if you want to throw some light on that, Tim, that would be interesting to know. But thank you for sending me that that photo. Um, so Tim is usually listening to me while, while he's walking, I think. And uh, good to see you getting those steps in, Tim. And then also Paul Hughes tweeted me, this is I, I, this is why I love social media. You know, I, I was moaning at the beginning of this about social media, but this is why I love social media because Paul Hughes uh, Paul Hughes tweeted me, uh, and you can find Paul at Paul H Writer, and he's broken down. He's in the car. He's shown me a picture from his sort of car dashboard. Actually, I've just noticed Paul. You've got the hazards. You've got both the hazard lights on there. I can see it on the picture, and it's just looking down a street. And he's had to pull it at the side. And his tweet says, "Broken down. Been here an hour already." And I've managed to squeeze a thousand words in strange places to write and perks of the job. That's very, that's very, uh, that's very funny. And uh, you're in a bus, aren't you? Is that a bus? I thought it was a car, actually, but it might be a bus, actually. Um, and yeah, it might be a bus, actually. So, so, so while you're waiting, I know what happens with buses. If buses break down, you have to wait for the tow truck to come, don't you? They don't just come out like National Breakdown does in a car which would explain why you've been there for an hour, because National Breakdown, I think all the emergency services promised to get there in an hour now. So that's probably why you were there for an hour. You've got to wait for the bus company to come out. I'm, I'm only reading between the lines, Paul. Tell me if I'm way off the beaten track here. Um, so I'm guessing that you, while you're at work then, 
you've, you've been able to get a thousand words done. And that's what I call opportunism, Paul. And that's what it takes to get a book written. Every little gap you've got in your day, rather than saying, well, what, should, I, should I put the radio on here? Or should I just stare out the window or curse that we've broken down? That's what I call great opportunism. Paul's got out and got some writing in a thousand words. Okay. So if you're one of these people who says, oh, there's no time to write. There's always time to write. You've just got to find the pockets of time in your day. Anyhow, just that's a little rant there, but thank you, Paul, for sending me uh, that tweet. That's great. And I assume that you you got on your merry way in no time at all, but that's a thousand words in the pot. So well done to you for that. Okay, we have a guest on Monday's episode. So we're in the sort of summer season at the moment where we're not getting a guest every week. And uh, the guest is going to be on Monday, the 4th of June. It's going to be Miles Hudson. Now, Miles Hudson is one of the regional authors. I'm actually going to meet him at Amazon on... See, this is what I love. This is what I love about all of this. um, So, Miles, I've done some work with New Writing North. I've been coaching a couple of authors. And as part of New Writing North and some funding that we've got regionally, they're all getting websites. And I was just doing some digital geekery work with them. Gone very well with Miles. Mentioned to Miles because he's he's traditionally published as you'll hear in the interview on Monday. Uh, he's doing a, he's had a couple of um, forays into self publishing. Um, I recommended that he go to the Amazon event, and so now we're meeting up in person, which is fabulous because we've only spoken over Skype at the moment. But anyhow, Miles is my guest on Monday. He's uh, he was a secondary school physics teacher, and then he started writing physics te- textbooks, and he's been doing that for years. He's also an inventor. This is fascinating when you hear his story. He's invented something which he manufactured and sold, and he also is now getting into self-publishing, and he's crowdfunded a book. He successfully managed to crowdfund a book. Um, so great story. When we were working together, I said, "Look, I've got to get you on the podcast." So that that's why you're hearing this interview. So that is going to be. Uh, self-publishing journeys on monday an interview episode my guest is miles hudson and that will be episode number 116 of the self-publishing journeys podcast that's going out on monday the 4th of june i hope you have a fabulous week of writing i hope we don't have to break down to get your words in this week but i'll speak to you next saturday bye-bye for now thanks for listening to paul's podcast diary make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed to hear next week's update and find out how many words get produced over the next seven days. Until then, we hope you have a great week of writing.